Our message this morning is entitled Unsolved Mystery, Trinity Sunday 2022. This is Trinity Sunday, a day on the church calendar that comes uh, every year on which we specially remember the tri-unity of our God, the threeness and the oneness of God. Can I take the volume down just a little bit? Thank you. Today we're going to tackle the difficult doctrine of the Trinity and the importance thereof. So if you have a handout, or if you don't, you will shortly, it says, what is the Trinity? And halfway down it says, why does it matter? Right? Why does it matter that we think about God as three in one, as a tri-unity? Since this doctrine ultimately remains an unsolved mystery, we must begin with prayer. Our Lord and Father, you have, you have said that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we fully embrace that truth and reality, and we come to you and ask that you would open the heavens to us. Like James says, give us wisdom from above. Nobody knows anything except that you give them wisdom and knowledge. Nobody anywhere, nobody who trusts in you and nobody who doesn't trust in you knows anything at all except that you give them that knowledge, that wisdom. We, your people, are congregated in your name and are asking you to give us truer and clearer knowledge of yourself this morning. Amen. In the Bible, God reveals himself, but he does not reveal to us all that there is to know about himself. That would be impossible. We, the created creatures living in a world he made, and he, God the uncreated one, eternally living outside time as we know it, we are born, we change, we grow, we die, to be raised to life again on the last day. And so it is with God's reveal, revelation of himself. There is progression. In the Bible, from the beginning, we know just a little bit about God. He made everything, and there is a God. And then as the Bible goes on, as you turn the pages, we know more and more and more about God, but never all. So there is progression in God's revelation of himself through time and through scriptures and to each one of us, just like we grow and change. But God himself does not change at all. He is able to interact with us in our timeline and tell us things while himself remaining outside time and above and beyond it, one God mysteriously, eternally existing in three persons. We are not able to be three in one any more than we are able to squirm our way outside of the timeline into which we were created. Understanding that God does not age and does not change 
is something we must try to understand as best as we can before we continue on to talk about the Trinity. And of course, even though we can think about it, we cannot really get it. Time has to do with motion. Time flows, events happen, things happen. If you stop moving completely, you are dead, right? You are dead, right? Yet, with God, there is a kind of motion and life that is above and beyond our kind of motion and life. As we move, we change. We can't get away from that. We're stuck to time like a high-wire walker is stuck to that wire. If he or she falls from the wire, there is no more continuation or progression along the line. It's all over, you know? But not so with God. God is, in quotes, all that he ever was and all that he ever will be, all in one moment. He is free from the constraints of time. Therefore, he lives in an eternal moment whereby he can say of himself, I, the Lord, do not change. And elsewhere, he can be called the ever-living one. To us, that's a contradiction, but not to God because he has a different kind of life. For us, we may stop living, but in the words of the poet, time marches on. Time keeps going, we end. It's like the opposite with God. It's the inverse of that. God ever lives, and time does not march on. Can we wrap our minds around that? No, of course not. We can think about it, but we cannot really fully make sense of it, right? These things are beyond us, and they are mysterious to us. We have a very great God who is beyond, far beyond us and our minds and our time and our way of existing. And then there is the greatest of all mysteries, that he cares for us, thinks of us, and transcends from eternity into time, transcending even godness and humanness. And the Son of God became a man. Without ceasing to be God in any sense. And so, he is ageless, eternal, and timeless, and in his humanity, able to act in time without ceasing to be God. An awesome union between God and human. Therefore, he is able to help us in our weakness and bring us near to the Father by the power of the Spirit. God reaches from outside time and meets us inside time. How can he do that? There's no way of knowing. God can do things that we cannot do. God is different from us and in so much of a way inaccessible to us, mysterious, not fully knowable. 
But in the Word of God, both the written Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, He shows something of Himself to us. That which can be understood about God has been made known to us because God has made it known. Amen? There is so much of him that we will never understand, not because we run out of time, we don't have enough time to learn it all, but because there is so much of God that is always beyond us. And that is the mystery of God, the unsolved mystery, if you will. As we continue today, we turn our attention from matters of eternity and time to the great mystery of how God lives within himself as Trinitarian God. We're going to talk about the Trinity. What is the Trinity and why does it matter? Why can't I just know God is God and that be good enough? Or can I? Good question. Let us say from the outset that the concept of the Trinity is hard for us to conceptualize it's hard for us to understand. But God has revealed himself in such a way that we can have some true understanding of him, though never a full or complete understanding. For he is infinite, no limit, and we are finite, limited in every way. Finitude cannot comprehend infinity. Though we can't exactly or fully understand the tri-unity of God, we can say some things about him that are definitely true. There is one God. Agreed? The Father is God. Agreed? The Son, Jesus, is God. Agreed? The Holy Spirit is God. Agreed? The Father is not the, is not the Son right? The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, right? And the Spirit is not the Father or the Son, right? These are the boundaries of how God has revealed himself as three persons in one God in the Scriptures. We cannot have a clear, full definition that makes sense of the Trinity, I think, much beyond what we have just said. Instead, God has given us boundaries that we can know for certain, right? There is one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit or the Father. The Spirit is not the Son or the Father, these things we can know for certain. Beyond that is the mystery of how can God do that? How can God exist like that? If we had started with talking about the Trinity instead of talking about time, I think if you're anything like me, you might have started to think, it just seems like a logical contradiction. But we must accept from the get-go that there are many things especially about God, that we couldn't understand no matter how hard we tried. As we study science or mathematics, there are things that are difficult, 
There are concepts in math that are not yet discovered, but that are true. We're learning more about math, how mathematics works as the centuries go on. And we know a lot now, but perhaps if the Lord tarries for a couple of thousand years, people 1,500 years from now will look back and think, man, they barely got past algebra, you know? But algebra was once discovered by people long ago. They figured out that, you know, the A plus B, they, they, fi they figured out that algebra is a thing. So if you haven't studied math, that doesn't make sense. If you have, then, then I hope you enjoy mathematics because it's beautiful. And in a different kind of way, God is different than mathematics, which we can progressively be taught or progressively discover more about how numbers and space and geometry relate with one another. There is that of God that cannot be known because it's, it, takes, it would take an infinite mind to wrap around an infinite God, right? So we have this unfolding mystery from the very first verse in the Bible. Let's look at Genesis 1-1, if you can get that on screen. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So we have God, good. One God, not three gods or, you know, a few hundred thousand gods. It's just one God who created the heavens and the earth. Right? So now we know something of God. But now comes a little bit of mystery in verse 2. In the next verse, we see the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Think of the earth, a sphere with water and land all mingled and mixed together in darkness, kind of chaotically, unformed, incomplete. And, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So is he over the North Pole or the South Pole? Being a spherical, he is over all the earth, over all the waters. It's an embrace. The Spirit of God is personally embracing, surrounding, protecting, nurturing, forming the creation in motion. Motion has to do with time. So here we have the beginning of the ageless one who is always in motion, but not in a way whereby he changes giving movement, giving life, form to the world in time. We can think about these things, but unlike the spirit who can wrap himself completely around the world to embrace his creation, we cannot fully wrap our mind around that, but we will try. So it's funny, isn't it, how in verse 1, it's God, and now it's the spirit of God embracing the world, moving over the waters. Why doesn't verse 2 say, just God? Now it's the Spirit of God. There's something God is progressively telling us about himself. In chapter 3, we learn that the seed of the woman will rise up and take his rightful place and will crush the head of the serpent. It's a prophecy about Jesus just in Genesis chapter 3. This, this early good news early on in the history of the world, early on in God's revelation from himself, of himself. So we have God the Father creating. We have the Spirit of God creating. 
And then we have the first prophecy of Jesus Christ, the, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, who is going to, who was involved in creation and now we're told is going to be involved in a renewal of the creation, a recreation. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, of Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The Bible clearly affirms the full deity of all three persons of God or of the Godhead or Godhood or of the essence of God, right? Here in Colossians, we clearly see that Jesus is fully God. There's no other way, to, there's no lesser way to understand that verse and take it as true. In John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Greek, when it talks about the word, it's talking about something perfect, something beyond anything we see in nature, right? So that which is perfect, he who is perfect, who is the pattern after which all things were patterned, became one of us, became flesh. And we have seen his glory. Now, wait a second. In the Bible, God says, I don't share my glory with another, right? Who said that? God. God said, I will not share my glory with another. But now we have Jesus glorious, and people testifying, we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the Father. So now we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all involved in creation. But we know from verse 1 in Genesis, only God created the world. And now here we have in Colossians and in John, we have Jesus, the Son of God, with glory. But God doesn't share his glory with anybody else, right? So, so we have... Jesus, glorious, and the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts as we've been studying, testifying to the glory of God, but himself coming like a glorious fire, like the light of the presence, the majesty, the glory of God being poured out on the apostles. The Holy Spirit is glorious, amen? amen. The Son is glorious. God doesn't share his glory with anybody else. God is revealing himself in three persons, but as one God, in a way that is different than anything else in the world is. Nothing else exists like that. The word Trinity isn't found in the Bible, but the teaching that God is three in person and essentially, or, or one in essence, is clear from Genesis on, even from the first verses of Genesis, the concept of the Trinity, the Trinitarian existence and nature of God, it's mysterious to us, but it's there all through the Scriptures. 
In John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. What? God is one, says Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And now you have this person, the person, Jesus, saying, I and the Father are one. People did not misunderstand him. The Pharisees, the people in his own town, did not misunderstand him because they knew enough of the scriptures to know that he was making himself equal with God when he made these statements. And indeed, that is exactly what he was saying. When the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to bear Christ, Luke 1.35, the angel answered her after she says, how can these things be? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the same spirit who hovered over the creation and formed life in the world. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, so Christ was to be carried and born by Mary, right? So we think Christ is inside her womb. But here's a picture of, we think Christ being God is inside her womb and she is surrounding and carrying him, right? But when the angel explains how these things can be, because she's like, huh? It's a good question, huh? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, think hover over you, think embrace and surround you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here we have, clearly, the teaching in the scripture that, that definitely tells us that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God. And we know from elsewhere in the scripture, there is only one God. And here we see something, and I want to be very careful with my words because it's almost impossible to find the right words to say this and not be wrong. And to be wrong on this is, uh, you know, gets us off into heresy and unorthodoxy and that which, and then we, we lose track of the deity and the oneness of God and the ability of Christ to save us. There is something different about the three persons of God, right? Here God is speaking of himself, Holy Spirit, child, the Son, and, and God the Father has sent this angel to give this word, right? At the end of Matthew, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father and pour out the promised Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God, because God is one. Don't get that confused, disciples. We might have expected that if we were reading that in the Law of Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? But he didn't say that. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A mysterious kind of differentiation, difference in personhood, 
but not, according to all the Scripture from first to last, different gods. Why does all this matter? An accurate doctrine of the Trinity forms the boundary between Orthodox Christianity and false cults, false religions. If you don't have an accurate doctrine of the Trinity, you don't have Christ. And I'm going to explain why. It's really that important. God expects us to let Him be who He is, for that is His name. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Eternally existent in three persons, one God is, is, is his name. It's in his name that he does not change. It's in his name that even though we see him here touching Moses in time and touching, rescuing, delivering the people of Israel, the people of God at this time, we know that he is revealed in the scriptures as, I am who I am. Therefore, he is unchanging. He is always who he is. And it is important to God that we know him as he is. That's why it matters. There is one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. God is one in essence, three in person. If you study this further, you'll find the term Godhead, which is another way of saying Godhood or the Godness of God, that God is, a, is in his being, in his essence, in, in his nature, he's just God, kind of a simple concept. And we have this word, I think it comes from an old-fashioned pronunciation of a German word. So we say Godhead or Think Godhood, the Godness of God, right? When we use the term Godhead, we're talking about the nature of God as He exists in three persons. When we use the term Godhead, we are attempting to more clearly define His divine nature or essence. Now let's step aside into unorthodoxy. Now let's talk about the cults, the heresies, that which is outside a true understanding of the Trinity, not a true definition of God as Trinity. As we have established, that is impossible. But we know the boundaries into, in between which we must stay to know him as he says, as he insists, I am who I am. And that we must embrace, even though it is mysterious. We want to talk about two heresies, modalism and tritheism. First, modalism. It means there's one God, yeah, and God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah, so far so good. But you only get God one person at a time. God has three modes. He has Father mode, He has Son mode, He has Holy Spirit mode. This heresy is 
like saying that God is like the three phases of, three common phases of water, solid, liquid, gas, ice, liquid, water, steam, right? A physicist might correct me, but I'm just going to be a little simple here. Water normally exists in only one phase, unless it's in a plasma form. It's only in one of those three phases. All right, so you guys are very smart. Just please stop objecting. Water can be, I'm just going to say, solid, liquid, or gas, normally normal ambient temperatures, okay, for Earth. And the, the heresy of modalism is that God is like that. There's water. It's always water. It's never not water. It's water as solid. It has certain properties, certain personality, if you will. And then there's water, still water, like God, still fully God, always God, always like water. Water, liquid, different properties, you know, different properties as, as a fluid, different dynamics. And then you have water, still water, God, always still fully God, like water can be steam, different properties. It fills the shape of a different kind of container. It transfers energy differently. Things dissolve in it differently. It's a different, can become a different kind, different, of a different nature. But it's always water. That analogy is not true of God. That's called modalism, that God has three modes. He can be father mode, or he can show us to himself in son mode, or maybe later in the Bible, let's say, uh, he can show us to himself in Holy Spirit mode. Like in the Old Testament, God was the Father and just the Father. And then in uh, the Gospels, he was the Son. And then he went up, changed modes, came down, Holy Spirit baptism, and now he's the Holy Spirit. And now we know God is the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit mode. It's not true. God doesn't have three different modes. The reason that's not true is it because it contradicts what God has revealed of himself in the Scriptures, Right? The, like, the like at the baptism of Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus personally like a dove, and like the Holy Spirit hovered over, filled, indwelt, and lived with creation, the Holy Spirit was was revealed to us as coming on Jesus like a dove and resting and remaining there while the Father spoke from heaven, this is my Son whom I love. If the Trinity weren't a real concept in the Bible, why would God have done that? That would have been tremendously confusing. And admittedly, this is mysterious, mysterious, more than it is confusing, we will say. God is accurately telling us something of himself, that he really does have three persons ever present together, as we see in Jesus when he uh, came with John's baptism and the spirit baptism, right? All three persons of God, different, but not separate. All three persons of God, only one God, all in the same place at the same time. These things are hard to understand because we are small, and that is a right thing, because it lifts our minds to gaze on the Lord as high and lifted up 
In all the ways we can understand him, he is wonderful. But there are ways we can never understand him because he in himself, in his existence, is beyond us. He lives in a realm, a dimension, outside and above and beyond time. That's beyond us. We can try to understand it, but we just don't get it. Even He, he lives in a tri-personal, singular existence. Three persons, all of the same essence, all God. It's not like three pancakes. Tritheism says there are three gods. It's not like there are three pancakes in a stack. And if you look at it from that way, it's three pancakes and please pass the syrup. And if you look at it this way, it's three different pancakes. Why is that not true of God? Why is tritheism not true of God? Can't we just have the Father, the Spirit, and the Son like a really, really tight-knit family? I mean, we have families. You know, we have oneness. We have unity in our families. And we have diversity or different persons in our family. That's true. That comes because we're made in the image of God and everything in all of creation bears the imprint, the stamp of God's Trinitarian nature. So the implications of God living eternally in Trinity, unchanging, yet somehow meeting us and interacting with us in time, and yet not changing and not growing or realizing anything he didn't already know, are awesome. And we can meditate on this many days, lifetimes, and we don't have time for that because, as we said, I only have an hour and 20 minutes left. Okay, so it's not tritheism. Tritheism is not true of God. Why? Because the scripture reveals to us, God says, I am who I am. And because he says of himself, everybody listen, hear, O Israel, Hear, people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What he's saying there, make no mistake, is there's one God. You can't understand that in a different way or else you misunderstand it. You can't say, well, yeah, God is three really close gods in a tight-knit family, like three pancakes that are really in one stack. That doesn't fit with Deuteronomy, right? That doesn't fit with God's revelation of himself that you can have no other God before me. There is no other God. There is no other God. There's just one. That is the biblical teaching from the beginning, from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, several gods got together. They agreed. They talked. They thought about it. And they figured out, this is what we're going to do. Let's create the heavens and the earth. That's not how it was. In the beginning, just one God. There is one God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit or the Father. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. This is, these are the boundaries of God in his Trinitarian nature, but not really a very good definition because that which is finite cannot comprehend that which is infinite get comfortable with God being beyond us. When people say, yeah, it has to be either tritheism or modalism. It's got to be one or the other. That's actually not true because the people who disagree with the logic of how God has revealed himself in the word of God, both the written word of God and in the person, the man Jesus Christ, those people, like all of us, have minds that are limited in every way. 
but God, not just in His intelligence, not just in His love, not just in His justice, but in the persons of His one being, exist in a way that is fundamentally beyond what can be known by that which is not God. We would have to be God to be able to get this and really get it. And we are not. Therefore, we worship. One last example because I think it's helpful. He's not like a stack of three pancakes. He's not like an egg. Has anybody heard this analogy? What is the egg analogy? There's one egg, and an egg has a few parts. It's got an eggshell. It has a white. It has a yolk. So we're saying our egg has three parts, shell, yolk, white, right? What heresy is that? Partialism. Explain. Three parts to God. Sidney just said, this is the heresy of partialism, which like tritheism says God has, God is one, he really is one, but he has three separate parts to him, and none of them are fully the whole. The shell is not the whole egg, the shell is just the shell. The white is not the whole egg, the white is just the white, and the yolk is not the whole egg. But, but the Father is fully God, and the Son is fully God, and the Spirit is fully God. No one has ever come up with an earthly analogy like the phases of water, the stack of three discs, the, the egg with its parts all together adding up to a whole. No one has ever come up with an analogy that rightly explains this doctrine of the Trinity because this is knowledge that is too high for us. Paul says after 11 chapters of explaining the gospel which is a great mystery. He says at the end of chapter 11, he just kind of stops and starts worshiping. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. So you can't read enough books to get him. How unsearchable are his judgments. That's just the decisions he makes and how inscrutable his ways, his patterns, his character. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Indeed, we cannot. In the Western church, Christians who are part of Western Christianity in its various branches, we, we, try to, we tend to analyze, we tend to dissect, we tend to want to define everything. And if we can't, it's very frustrating to us. One of the strengths of the Eastern Church is that they might look across the meridian or whatever, and they might say of the Western Church, you're, you're missing the point. The Eastern Church has the strength of embracing the mystery, the mysteries of God. And they would say, we can't analyze, dissect, and explain everything. They would simply see the mystery of God and just worship. Please turn to 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 and we will close here.
with your Bibles. If you can stand, please stand. Let's pray this with our eyes open. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.